Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Morning, Roxy Soxy. And top of the morning to you too, Tam Tam. Oh no, did you just suffer a foreign accent syndrome, Roxy? Did you just wake up with a different accent and you're like, what just happened? I'm like, what's happened? Am I suddenly British? Oh, darling. Oh no, I want some tea and crumpets. (laughs) I want some tea and crumpets. Oh, Tam Tam. That does sound, you have a good, for not being an actor, you are pretty good at your accents thank you give me what you got give me what you got give me some southern give me oh southern honey honey child i can do (laughs) southern because you gotta have enough oh yes baby come over i make you some tea and chai some cookies we eat is that how your dad sounds though is it he has these cute moments where he like has his home you know accent like that where it kind of comes back you know and it yeah. but it's funny he falls into because i think because he's been in this country for so long he falls yeah. back into like more of like a like an americanized accent right 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 good. i'm like i got you dad i got you i heard that and then my parents are south african so they're like oh, who's over there at the door yes it's bright come over here <laughs> i love it do they usually speak like with a thick like south african no they kind of sound australian but you know i always know when my mom's mad at me because she's like what are you doing Damon come over here man (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so we have someone on today that is nothing to do with accents (laughs) in any way she actually talks about things that really matter right yeah she has she's a therapist and has a group called the expansive group which expands inside around relationships gender and sexuality which is like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is the subjects that we love to talk about she has a really amazing instagram which is called queer sex therapy so i was like you know what why don't i just reach out and have her on our freaking show oh, what do you yeah, think i like it i like it let's let's talk about sex baby yes we always we like wait. to talk about it well casey tanner thank you so much for being here I'm so happy to be here. I obviously love talking about sex. So here but the question oh, yeah. is, do you have an accent? Can you give us an accent? <laughs> uh, <laughs> New York, give us a really good New York yeah. accent. Okay, I moved here a week ago. Oh my goodness. I can't do it yet. No, I can't. I'm from the Midwest. The Midwest is, too. is a place yeah. of no accents. There's just it nothing. It's boring. So I'm oh, sorry. Oh, honey, bless your heart like that. My husband, <laughs> yeah, that's how, that's it's how my very kind, sounds. at least to your face. 
Yeah. 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 Oh, oh. yes, that's true. I've been with my husband for 15 years. No, he's a very, they're very nice. Like um, when I'm, when oh, I met yeah. my husband in Missouri and um, he was just, our first date was at Applebee's because there was no <laughs> oh, food around. And um, but did you have I the remember, blooming onion? Did you have the blooming onion? I think he had the, the he had the whatever dip, the, um, yep, the, the artichoke dip, which is his like go-to. Um, but I hadn't eaten cause it was like no, a lot of food where we were, we're kind of in a rural area. And, um, so I got like a Caesar salad and this is at Applebee's. And because I hadn't eaten for so long, I was like, Oh my God, this is the best Caesar salad I've ever had. And he was like, she's the woman from me. Like she can be happy at Applebee's. And then I go back to LA and I was like, have you heard of the four seasons? Have you heard of this great place? Oh, have you ever gone that. back and had the Caesar salad not so hungry and found that it was <laughs> you know what I'll be honest with you at those kinds of places they use so many amazing preservatives and additives <laughs> that it tastes amazing oh, no, I mean inspired. yeah like mm-hmm. make food taste better and look better through the color and yeah I mean I feel like those types of food the last time I ate at Applebee's I got a migraine because of all the preservatives but um it definitely tastes good so that's good mm-hmm. it's always fun it's always fun so wait you just moved to New York Casey like was this like something to do with your job or were you just wanting to become more expansive than you already are <laughs> both a little bit of both but also for love because oh. My partner got a job here and it happens that my business is all virtual. I could be anywhere. So I've been in Chicago for 30 years. This is my first week not living there. And I am overstimulated, I think is probably the best word for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're jumping in. I mean, New York, I used to live in New York as well, actually during oh. 9-11. And of course the big 20 right. year reunion was just this weekend um, for nine 11. So how did you kind of fare with all of that? Cause I know for me, it was a really hard weekend for me. I was very somber this weekend. I sort of went back to the memories of the day in New York mm-hmm. and watching the towers collapse from my, the rooftop yeah. of my apartment building. And so it was a hard weekend for me this weekend. How did you fare with that? And Tim and you too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did actually watch some of the Netflix documentary that just came out, Same, mm-hmm. um, which was, oh my gosh, so illuminating pieces of it that I'd never heard before. And um, the, the space that used to be the World Trade Center has this beautiful light that shines from the ground into the sky. It is so bright, it is visible. It has to be visible from like hundreds of miles around. Mm-hmm. So it, it was impossible to not think about it. And yes, my friends and I also found ourselves sort of telling those stories of mm-hmm. where were we when. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's hard not to watch. I think as humans, we all collectively want to feel that human experience. And so when you see people jumping from the buildings, even though it's probably very traumatic and it does, it gives me a lot of anxiety, but I still watch it. It's because Mm -hmm. you picture yourself in a situation like that and you think about your family and what would you do? And that sort of like that survival instinct that comes over you, but then also like, when do you, when do you let go and when do you kind of give up in a way? And I think that um, that's just so much about the human experience. And we all, all haven't gotten to that point in our lives, obviously, because we're still here doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but we put ourselves in those positions, you know, and I think that that's why that day was just so tough for so, you know, just to even go back and look at some of those images. 
Uh, and videos. Know, and that 20 year marker too, I think is was really hard for me at least. And I think probably for a lot of people, because it's like a whole lifetime has now almost gone by for mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. that time, you know, and it's like, my daughter was asking me like, mom, what's nine 11, you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't show her any of the footage or anything on TV, but like, I kind of explained it to her and like, she's seven, you know, in like seven-year-old terms that there were bad people, you know, that hurt a lot of people by doing something really evil. But there was also, I wanted to kind of spin it a little bit and say, there was also a lot of good that came out of the day in that people came together, you know, which yeah. is, I think, you know, don't you think the kids are picking up mm-hmm. now that they see, you know, it's the world fear. is divided, yeah. you know, and it's it like- was that, I feel like that's when the fear really began. I feel like, remember when we used to go the, um, the, security in the airports and it wasn't even it was not even an issue it was not a big deal people weren't walking around with like big old guns and like patting you like you didn't have that sense of fear when you flew Mm -hmm. um, until 9-11 yeah yeah you could hang out with people who were on a layover you could go meet up with them at the airport past the gates Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it's a different world it changed our whole perspective you know but I was Almost like, you know, it, it, when we came together after 9-11 happened, I'm just- That's what it's always about. Right? It's always about that. Like, when is that going to happen? Like, when are we going to come together finally again? You know, I don't want it to be a tragic event. I want it to be like, we realize like the only way like forward really is to come together, you know? Do you think that COVID has been that in mm-hmm. any way mm-hmm. for people? I mean- Maybe? I mean, I don't know. It's because I think some people maybe weren't as touched by COVID. Like they see it on the news, right? They see like, they obviously see that people are affected (laughs) by it. And so I think for some people, it never became that real. I know for Tamman, it did. I mean, because of Sean. Yeah, almost lost my husband. It was really scary. But I... I think that the only way to get people together, which is, and we'll start talking about the subject that um, you talk about, Casey, is to start having conversations. And I, I'm the first person to be on TikTok or Instagram, and just I, my blood starts to boil when I see someone's opinion that is just opposite to my opinion, and I just want to school them. I want to school them why I feel like you know, women's rights are important. And I want to school them to say like, well, vaccines, like you have to have a vaccine because my husband almost died. But then I was like, you know what? It's not, it's not working. Mm-hmm. We need to have conversations and understand the lens that people are looking through because I have had a friend who had a kid with a vaccine injury. The kid's fine, scared her understandably the kid had a seizure, which is a normal actual, like not normal. It happens sometimes very rarely in vaccines with kids. It's a free bull seizure. It's normally very quick and it's over and it scared her. Mm-hmm. So through her lens, she's afraid. And I think that when people are afraid, they hold on to anything that they know to be true to them and from their own lens and from their own, how they grew up and education or whatever it is, so I feel like if we have the conversations and try to like really understand what people are coming through, coming from, and then start to give them information because we've all opened up to have that conversation. And I feel like when you're not open and we're just so black and white and we're so shut down, I feel like that's when the division happens. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you know? sense. Yeah. Cause people are insecure and they like, don't, you know, they don't, they're looking for something to grab onto. And it's like, if it, if their opinion doesn't match, you know, your opinion and 
it just and there's no good and bad i don't believe in good and bad people i believe in damaged people i believe in pain i believe in anxiety i believe in mental health i believe in people who are struggling with grief and adhd and autism and i believe in all that stuff but i don't believe in people who are born bad Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i think you can become someone that is not a great person Mm -hmm. based in how yeah yeah, we're, we're also, I think, talking about how the brain functions to protect us. So it is going to hold on to the most scary time we experience something to remind us to protect ourselves from it. Mm-hmm. We are always going to remember the most scary times more than, this is why we all remember what happened on 9-11, right? This is mm-hmm. how our brains function. Um, and so, so to your point, Tamman, it is so not about good and bad people, but more just the, the way trauma ends up manifesting for people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trauma is a trauma is very. It's something that you never really let go of. I guess you learn how to just cope with it and deal with it in your life because mm-hmm. you know once it's sort of there, and a lot of times it comes in childhood, right? Like yeah, once you know you get it young, some a lot of the time, and it kind of stays mm-hmm. with you. So it's like how you and, deal with that, right? And what about trauma with sex? Let's start mm. to talk about that. You know, like. I remember I knew a girl who was raped when she was young and she just, she was 32 years old and she just hadn't had sex yet. So let's start opening these cans of worms and start opening, like talking about these questions. Like how can you start to enjoy sex after you've been traumatized? Mm. And you know what? It could be a big traumatic event or it could be really small. Like I once had a guy who had sex with me. He was like, oh, your stretch marks are getting better. That's a slight oh trauma, God. not a massive trauma, mini trauma, you know, <laughs> those things add up. So yeah, like, right. how do you start to enjoy sex? Well, and I also think that sometimes trauma that has nothing to do with sex will also show up in our sex life. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be explicitly sexual trauma for it to impact us sexually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people are, are so resilient that they move on with their sex lives just as it was before. But to your point, many of us, um, I think have a harder time feeling at home in our bodies and feeling Mm. safe in our bodies again. So even with a partner that uh, where everything is consensual, where we felt safe before, suddenly situations that used to feel safe no longer feel safe. So when I'm working with folks on this, long before I'm like, all right, here's how to enjoy sex. Mm. I'm actually talking about grieving. Um, I'm talking about grieving the loss of the feeling of safety grieving whatever event it was that happened, grieving how it felt for you, grieving that, yeah, maybe pre-event, this felt safe and I could orgasm easily and post-event, I can't even get my breathing right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we start with grief and we just, we just be with it and we make space for it. And I think often over time, as people get a chance to tell their story and narrate what happened to them, actually biologically what's happening is that really painful memory that got stored in one part of the brain shifts Mm -hmm. into the prefrontal cortex, which is a long-winded way of saying, we start to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. Um, We start to to maybe understand this happened for a reason, or we start to maybe understand this is the resilience that came out of this negative experience. And that Mm -hmm. meaning-making process can get us back to a place of joy and enjoyment. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was interesting. I was looking at your Instagram earlier and I noticed, um, I love all of your, um, like the charts and everything you put up because they're really, really helpful. But I had a question. One of them was the masturbation chart and there was like a masturbation. Mm-hmm. I guess they were the circular charts. 
And mm. one, it was the masturbation and the solo sex ah, one yes. that had the thing. And I thought to me, that seems like the same thing, but I guess it's not <laughs> right. Like, Wait, what am I missing here? Am yeah, I missing yeah, a whole missing part something. of orgasm here? <laughs> Give us the you know, Yeah. So, so I and the educators that I work with like to take concepts and, and really dive in and deconstruct them and ask ourselves questions that we're not usually asking. So one mm. question we ask ourselves around that post is when you have sex solo, when you're by yourself, um, is it possible that actually there are pieces of that you bring into a relationship setting and it's maybe not as black and white as we thought, because I don't know if you've ever had the experience of bringing a vibrator into mm. a partnered mm -hmm. sexual experience. Mm -hmm. And maybe even using it in front of your partner, maybe using it instead of them using it on you, that is still masturbation. It's masturbation, but with a partner present. So mm -hmm. what we're starting to talk about and advocate for is bringing some of those pieces we've typically thought of are only reserved for alone time, bringing mm -hmm. them into relationships and partnered sex to increase our pleasure, but also to teach our partners, what is it that we do when we're alone that we know works for us so that you can also do it with us and to us. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you say that because I thought that everyone did that. Right. Like, it's I, I thought because like sometimes we'll be like, you know, I'm not going to go too much in detail just for my <laughs> husband's sake. But sometimes if you're not Tell like you're, you're tired or like whatever, but like, you know, you're turned on, you just kind of do it yourself, but you're together, you know, right. um, I don't know if everyone does that. Um, nope. I thought that that was kind of a piece of the puzzle of sex. Yeah. You no, know, actually you're on like level five and oh my god that's gonna level, level, level six yeah. I mean, that is just immensely vulnerable for so many people to tell that's what turns me on the oh, vulnerability see you yeah. it's almost like being a voyeur mm. in a room that I wasn't asked to be in and that to me is like oh my gosh like <laughs> I love to be a watching like a voyeur and that's probably comes from being an artist or mm -hmm. watching you know movie whatever like being uh, you know that to me has always been something that is it's like your own sex movie you can yeah. watch like it plays <laughs> out <laughs> it, right yeah I'll probably cut all of this out. <laughs> so if it's in, you're very lucky it's in, guys. Exactly. <laughs> it is kind of exciting too to give them like your partner the power too with the with like the vibration tool, right? Like so it's mm. like if they use it on you, that's also a turn on because it's kind of like you're giving them the power to sort of um, control when you, you know, orgasm or climax mm -hmm. and you know have that thing. So that's kind of like sexy too, I think, you know, Ooh, yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, I think power is the other side of vulnerability in a lot of ways. It's like, mm -hmm. when I give myself to you, I'm, I'm giving you this power, but it's because I trust you. So they're connected. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tamman, I've had just had the biggest epiphany. You will <laughs> totally appreciate this because you know, we talk about vulnerability all the time, right? Yes. Okay. You're I vulnerable. Only in the bedroom. <laughs> Oh, interesting. It just clicked. I was like, why am I? That's like wait, wait, wait. I call bullshit because why? 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 you told me that there was a period of time you didn't have sex because you didn't want to be vulnerable. So when you get to, so you probably didn't want to have sex because you knew you had to be vulnerable. And then when you are in it, you're completely vulnerable. That makes sense. Yeah. Like how, why? And when why? you don't feel like being vulnerable, you don't want to have sex. 
See, I want to have sex all the time, even when I don't want to be vulnerable. <laughs> You're like, I some of us it. are better at compartmentalizing that part of ourselves, but oh. yeah, not you. Yeah. Like I have body issues in my life. Like I'm mm. like, oh, I wish I could look like this. Megan Fox looks so good in her naked dress. Why don't I look good in my naked dress? Like things like that all the time. But I don't have it in the bedroom because I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's my husband, but I just feel like he's just happy to be there. So I have no issue. <laughs> no, but he obviously, and you guys are in a loving relationship. Now here's the question. Do you guys like, do you guys look at each other when you're having sex and like with the lights on and stuff, or is it like more like moody lighting? Like, you know, are you very like, look, I'll take it any way I can get it. Um, to be honest with you, I would probably like more eye looking and kissing. Okay. okay. Life gets in the way to small children. Um, it's, <laughs> it's normally like literally between one's napping and one's doing her, you know, go noodle on her eye, which only lasts like 30 minutes, but that means I'll get six sex sessions in that time. Um, (laughs) 30. Wow. (laughs) No, it's not going to be six, but no, I I think I could take it any, 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 yeah. Any which way I think that's fine. Yeah. So Casey, what does this all say about us? Like what, what, (laughs) what tell us, give us the scoop. what it says is, is you really just, both of you are normal. Both of you fall into a normal range of how we expect sexuality to show up. Sounds oh. like Tamin, you have what we would call spontaneous arousal, which means you sort of get turned on out of nowhere. I you do, that's so it. weird. Last night I was right. like, oh, all of a sudden, I don't know right. why. Right, it comes from nowhere. It could be anything. It could be a smell that your, that your brain doesn't even register and, and you're there, right? And maybe Roxy for you, maybe you're a little bit more responsive. Maybe there's a little bit more of a context that you need in order to get there and both different sides of the same normal spectrum. Do you think it's tied into hormones? Like, is this tied into like, yeah? It certainly can be tied into hormones and biology um, in a lot of ways it is, but I also often find that it depends on the relationship that you're in. How safe do you feel? How connective does it feel? When couples come in and see me and they're struggling with their sex life, it is almost never about hormones. It is almost never about sex. It is usually about the other dynamics in the relationship that are, that are sort of finding their way into the bedroom. Huh. So what are the remedies for this? Like, what do you, <laughs> how can you fix me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you prescribe? I'd like to hear. <laughs> well, if you're somebody that does need a little bit more of a specific context to get there, I think it's also—it's really allowing yourself to experiment and explore with how to bridge that gap for yourself. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's like, all right, I really love taking a shower before sex because feeling clean is what's what we in this sort of sexual health field call an accelerator. There's accelerators and brakes. Accelerators get you closer to a yes, brakes push you closer to a no. Most of us have accelerators and brakes kind of going at the same time, right? You're like, oh, partner looks really hot right now. That's an accelerator, but oh my gosh, the dog's whining needs to go out. That's a break. Which one wins out is sort of dependent on how the, how the context adds up. Mm. Mm-hmm. So this is a lot about um, <laughs> queer sex. And yeah. I have a question for you because I, I was at lunch on Saturday and we had a few drinks and everyone was like, yeah, that one time I kissed a girl. And I was like, yeah, I did that one time. And some other girl said, yeah, I slept with a girl, but, but they don't consider themselves to have any queerness in them. But yet I, why is it like socially acceptable for women to talk about their 
you know, dabbling in kissing girls or touching girls or whatever it is. But then if a man says that, like, oh, this one time I was in college and like, you know, I went down on a guy, I would be like, hmm, like, that's different. It's, it would be such a shock so and like every, yeah. the pin would drop. Yeah. So like, why is it one way for women and it's not for men? I think it's because with women, it has been so sexualized. I mean, there's so much girl on girl porn. Um, lesbians are so sexual. I mean, I think that actually when men hear that a woman is attracted to another woman or has, has even kissed another woman, especially if they're both feminine, they're like, that's hot. Right. That's often the response that you get. Now two men say it and it's, that's gay. Right. Or that's gross. And so I really do think it's because the, there's been this normalization of women being with women through sexualization porn, Hmm. even, even some mainstream media. Interesting. Yeah. I think men definitely are turned on by that. And um, just with the term queer, because I think too, there's a lot of confusion around um, Mm -hmm. queer because it seems like it's an umbrella term almost like everybody yeah. falls under the queer umbrella you know it just depends on like how many mm-hmm. yes exactly it's like if you're gay if you're lesbian if you're questioning if you're like it just sort of seems like an umbrella term now does is that true is that like does everybody fall under that umbrella or are there different sort of ways to you know to kind of well, uh, like levels exactly. or percentages of yeah. how queer yeah. you are right right, <laughs> right 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 yeah I mean I think different people would answer that question differently but yeah queerness can refer to a whole range of sexualities mm-hmm. it can refer to a whole range of genders as well mm-hmm. and I think it's come to sort of mean anything outside of the cisgender hetero norm mm-hmm. could be considered queer mm-hmm. um but that word also has had an entire evolution over time right when it when it started out, it was actually a slur against people who were same sex, same gender attracted. So it's, it's really evolved. And I think that's some of the confusion as well as people being like, is that okay to say even, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's totally okay. It's more than okay. We've embraced it. Do you think men sometimes, or a lot of the time, there's a part of them that do think about other men, or do you just think that because they have been taught to be so masculine and don't even think about that side that it doesn't even cross their minds. Or do you think it, they, it does, but they don't, ever, they don't ever bring it up? I think there will be some people that are so caught off from it that they really would never consider it. But I, I actually think a lot more people have those thoughts than they might realize. And it's just, yeah, way less okay for them to verbalize that. And actually, I think when men are in relationships with women and they verbalize that to their partner who's a woman, there's something that can almost feel threatening about that or could be perceived as threatening by the woman Mm -hmm. partner. Like, oh my gosh, if you're experiencing attraction to another man, are you attracted to me at all? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you flip the script and a woman says to a male partner, Mm -hmm. I think I'm a little attracted to to women, it's almost never threatening in the same way. Mm -hmm. The man, often is like, well, how do I get in on that, right? So, right. Um, so I think there's also this, this like socialization, we have to be threatened by it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting how that all plays out. But like you're saying, I think that like, it's now because we're talking about things so much more now that, you know, people's sexuality sort of falls on a spectrum almost, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, is anyone truly 100%, you know, one way or the other, or do you think everyone sort of falls in like, you know, somewhere in the middle or maybe leaning to one side or the other? I think if we look at 
Gen Z and where the numbers are trending on how they're identifying now that it is more socially welcomed, I, I really think that 20 years from now, 80% of people will identify as queer in some way, shape or form. Whether it's a one out of seven or a seven out of seven, I don't know, but I do think it is completely non-binary. It's, it's, you know, I think if you lined up the straightest person to the queerest person, mm -hmm. it would be, you know, a really smooth spectrum. Mm -hmm. Where are you, Roxy, from one to seven? <laughs> thinking about that. When I, before I asked it, I was like thinking about it. You know, for me, I- Seven I, is I, queer, one is straight. Yes, seven yes. Is queer, one is straight. I probably one and a half, <laughs> maybe a little yeah. one and a half. See? So here's like, I definitely can look at a beautiful woman and say, oh my God, she's gorgeous. You know, she has beautiful lips. She, her hair is beautiful, whatever it is, but I don't like necessarily want to, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah. hook up with her or do that. Now I do like, you know, the <laughs> fantasies for me are, are more male based, you know? So it's like, yeah, I think about Brad Pitt, like sexually, or I think about it. So <laughs> and husband, he thinks about you, rocks. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I, who knows? I mean, like, I, I mean, I guess I'd be like a one and a half. I don't know, two. I don't know. what. Yeah. I don't know. But how about you guys? Like, where would you guys fall? I definitely went through a stage when I was 25. And I think it was also the, the drama of it and the, um, you know, when you're 25, you're dramatic and you're right. like exploration and we didn't have kids. And so I, you know, and then girls would be like, you know, looking at me and I liked the, well, I've got a partner. So mm. this is kind of a little more adventure mm -hmm. that means I'm not going to ruin this part of my life or my relationship. Sure. Uh, so there was definitely a good year where I was like, I'd say 50, 50, I was like right in the middle there, like oh. girls, boy, mm -hmm. like both. Um, but I think my, my baseline and what turns me on has always been men to the point where I don't even like seeing a woman. If I ever see any, anything on TV, I, I almost don't like seeing a woman having sex because to me, I think about and this is probably sad. I think about like, oh, she probably has kids. And, you know, because there isn't great, you know, I feel like she's doing it less as an empowering way. Maybe that will, it'll be more empowering in the future, but I feel like she's not wanting to be there. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she does, but I feel that way. And I feel like she's in pain. So I don't want to see a woman who I feel like is in pain. So I don't even like them being there. Mm. And how, what would you say for yourself, Casey? Like, where do you think? I'm a solid 6.5 out of seven. Okay. I think that every so one in a billion, so six men out there in the world <laughs> that I, <laughs> um, but other than that, women and non-binary people, I think it, it is where I lean. Okay. And for me, it is more about the gender than the genitals. Like, mm -hmm. It's more about, I think, in some ways, expression than mm -hmm. anything else. But, you know, the sex worker piece actually reminds me, because I used to feel that way too, Tannen. Mm -hmm. And I now have a sex worker that is on my team and works mm -hmm. at the expansive group with me and has really been shifting some of my perceptions of sex work. And of course, mm -hmm. if you're watching porn, there's no way to actually know this person's story and how they feel. Mm -hmm. But I've had so many more interactions lately 
with sex workers, especially millennial and younger that actually feel like, you know what? I actually had multiple career paths that I could have chosen. And I chose Mm -hmm. this because Mm -hmm. this felt right for me. Mm -hmm. Um, This felt like a skill set that I I wanted to develop. Mm -hmm. And that that has been surprising to me, but has Mm -hmm. really changed some of my perception. Yeah, and I definitely think it's because of how the conversation and the narrative is changing in the last yes. couple of years, because mm. the, the videos that I've seen are very old <laughs> <laughs> and they're only in Vegas. And they're only like eight years ago when, <laughs> you know, you end up finding out the, tr- the stories of these women and yeah. they're on drugs and they've been beaten and you do, cause you, you see them in the news and um, I'm not really privy to the new age, you know, you know, sex on TV or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, I think it's changing, but I think it's because the narrative's changing. So the video, so the the creation of pornography is changing. Well, there's definitely more intention given to the ethics of mm-hmm. it all. For sure. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting too to position a woman in like a place of sexual power as well, whether it be with another man or another woman, like. For example, I know we've talked about this demon on the show, but that show Sex Life, I thought was in- interesting how it was shot from s- sort of her pleasure perspective mm. versus like the man's pleasure perspective, which is what we pretty much always see on mm-hmm. TV or movies. And I mean, that was a pretty racy, sexy show, you know? So mm-hmm. it was, it was, I thought it was just interesting how the perspective shifted a little bit. And maybe we'll see more of that. Like maybe we'll see more of, you know, it being about her and about being her about her pleasure and her climaxing versus like the guy coming, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. The, the female gaze, right? Where right. Always been the male gaze. Always, always. Right. Yeah. And so maybe Tamman, when you are directing, you can direct <laughs> some movies like that. Huh? Yeah. Directing myself with my leg up. <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, that is my sexy angle. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Get in yeah. there, Sean. <laughs> yeah. In there. No, I always, I was dressing yesterday and I was like, mm. huh, why have I always been so sex positive? I've always mm. been like this. I don't know. Is it because is it from your, your parents like growing up? Like my just- parents didn't ever my dad was very strict, so he mm-hmm. didn't like to talk about obviously sex, but mm-hmm. my mom was very open. Mm-hmm. So I never felt like sex was shameful or dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mom was a, always walked around naked. I always re- walk around naked. So the body was never private, you know, obviously shamed. in the world it's yeah. private, but shamed. It was never like private. Don't walk in here. Mm-hmm. My husband's a very private person. And I said that, you know, it's, it's great that you you're private, but if the girls walk into the bathroom and you're having a shower, don't make a thing of it because then it starts to put seeds of kind of confusion about like body and being naked in front of people. It almost like confuses them and thinking it's like wrong or dirty. Mm-hmm. So let's just not make it such a big thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, like being around my, my dad too, if I walked in and he was naked, he wouldn't go, oh my gosh, he would just... Mm-hmm you know, finish what he was doing, you know, and put his pants on. Like it wasn't such a big deal. And also maybe Australia, like mm-hmm. kids run around naked on the beach, you know, mm-hmm. they still, I could change Phoenix who's seven, eight years old at the swimming lesson. I could literally take her clothes off and put it on. No one would even bat an eyelid. Whereas in the States, I think it's very 
shameful to show your body in a certain way. But then yet we celebrate it. Like we see Megan Fox at the VMAs and she's literally naked. And we're like, oh my God, that's so amazing. But then we're like, don't get your nipple out to breastfeed or like don't change your two-year-old on the beach with their butt out. Like it's very confusing when it comes to nudity in, well, in America. Because it's, it's again, like when it is sexualized, it is one thing. When it is, when it is anything that a man wouldn't enjoy looking at, right? Mm-hmm. It is, it is different I really think that is in so many ways at least where we used to draw the line and there's still remnants of that for sure Mm, that's true yeah um I was also when I was browsing your Instagram today um I noticed you were talking about asexuality which was really interesting and you were saying that you know being asexual um people can also be in relationships and just not have that component but be in fulfilling relationships and things like that so I was wondering because we had a sex therapist on here before Dr. Morris remember sex with Emily she was saying there was a very there's a very small population of the hmm. of the you you know of the world or of the population that is asexual so um, can you just tell us a little bit more about that yeah definitely I think that we tie romance and sex up in in one together. And we can't imagine how one could exist without the other, but there are people for whom it does. They really love romance. They love, um, you know, taking a long walk, doing a candlelit dinner, but that actually doesn't for them need to lead to taking clothes off. There doesn't need to be a sort of pinnacle expression of romance via sex. Um, and some asexual people are aromantic as well, which means like they're more into platonic connections. And there are so many diverse reasons for asexuality. Some people feel like it's really innate and biological. Some people have come to identify that way after negative experiences. Um, I know a lot of people who just spent many years of their life wondering why don't I want to have sex with this partner or this partner or this partner and finding this label just felt validating. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay. I'm not broken. Mm-hmm. There's not a deficit here. And there are people who I can be in a relationship with who will, who will not only be okay with that, but actually celebrate that with me. So a, a lot of what you see on my account is, is shedding light on that identity, because even though it is such a, lar- a low percentage of the population, mm-hmm. our account kind of takes the stance of those are exactly the, the types of people we have to be talking about because mm-hmm. so few people are. Yeah. So what about people who are not obviously asexual, like they used to want to have sex and then, mm. you know, having, I get so many questions, the same question, like, how do I get my sex drive mm. back? Where has it gone? What has happened to me? You know, and even for, for me, even I, I've had a high sex drive my whole life, but it comes in ebbs and flows. Like I'll be definitely more into it. And, you know, just after I had a baby, I was less, obviously hormones change that, but I feel like women are now having kids and their kids are turning two and three and four that you can't say, well, it's just the hormones or it's just the sleep. Cause what happens when the kids are now sleeping and your hormones are kind of starting to regulate, mm. where's my sex drive gone? Like, how do I get it back? Yeah. Well, most women do fall, I think more into Roxy's camp of having mm. more contextual desire. So even though the hormones may have re-leveled, uh, even though there may not be a baby crying at all times, the, the context has still shifted massively when you have kids. Mm-hmm. Your days look entirely different. The amount of alone time you get is entirely a di- different. The amount of time you have to focus on yourself and the things that make you feel sexy are entirely different. So it, in a lot of ways, it's contextual. And that's why you'll hear sex therapists constantly pushing for things like set aside date nights mm-hmm. and things like scheduled intimacy. 
I, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think you have to schedule sex, but I do think you have to schedule a context that is going to promote your sex drive mm-hmm. so that maybe you don't have sex. Um, and, and knowing that for people who have vulvas, women, uh, it can take two, three hours to get into a place where you really feel ready for sex. And I think sometimes we have this expectation that, you know, five minutes of making out and we're going to be there. And that's just not who most of us are. Mm-hmm. So to thinking about about two hours of some type of romantic context or relaxing context to get you into a place where there's an opportunity for your sex drive to show back up. Mm. I mean, like- maybe that's why I continually have sex is because every Friday we go on date night and normally we have sex on a Friday because you've spent yeah. time with each okay. other and you start yeah. to like fall in love with each other. You start to find each other sexy again. It's like, mm-hmm. I think date night might, someone once told me you either pay for the date night or you pay for the therapy. It's like, whichever <laughs> one comes first, it's like, <laughs> that's it. and then that's, I totally believe that. It's like, you yeah. pay for the date night, pay for the babysitter so that mm-hmm. you don't have to pay for the therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe you do both, you know? Yeah, yeah both. maybe you have the sex and the therapy. <laughs> Not a bad deal. Not a bad deal. Well, I know people who get really turned on during therapy and that leads to sex. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's in both worlds. That's interesting. Yeah, I think too, a lot of it, I know for me, like, because it is contextual, is like letting my guard down too. It's like, because, you know, during the week or whatever, it, it's however long it's been, you know, it's like, I start building up, you know, walls, 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 walls. And then like, we get into a little tiff or like something pisses me off or I don't feel safe or like, you know, that wall continually builds. And it's like, you have to be able to sort of let that go a bit so you can create that bridge. Right. And that's what I really had to like, sort of figure out this past year. Cause also with COVID, it was such a weird time. Like it didn't feel sexy. It didn't feel like, you know, we saw each other every day, day in, day out in sweats and Mm -hmm. it just didn't Mm -hmm. feel special, you know, but I guess it doesn't always have to feel special. I don't know. You know? Well, that's true too. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes we wait for our bodies to tell us like, yes, I need this now go. Mm. And most of our bodies also like don't show up that way. Mm -hmm. We have to just maybe look for, especially with a safe partner, we know it's going to be consensual. All of that is taken care of. Even just finding a little bit of willingness to say, I'm going to start to go there and see where it goes. I don't Mm -hmm. have to be a hundred percent into penetrative sex to start Mm -hmm. the process of seeing if I can get my body there, because maybe after 10 minutes of cuddling or touching, or even like grinding with clothes on, you might realize suddenly oh, you are there. The dry hump. Oh the my God. Hump. The bringing back the hashtag dry the dry hump. The yeah. dry hump. This is like a big thing we talk about. We really want to bring <laughs> the dry hump back. Yes. We're like, there's you know, so underrated about the dry hump, so you know? Underrated. I literally had the best sex of my life after we spoke to Elisa Vitti. She's from My Flow, which talks about hormones. She talked mm-hmm. about having the best orgasm of your life. And she said for women, it's, I think she said thermescence. I think that's what the term was. And it's like, when you start playing around with your head, like your head and your thoughts way before you have sex, like at the beginning of the day and you start playing with your partner through mental games and all that, by the time you get to the bedroom, it's like the, by the time you have an orgasm, it's the best orgasm you ever had. And I do believe that because when I'm caught off guard for sex, Mm. like if I'm in my bedroom, I'm emailing something about an audition or whatever. And then my husband comes in and like, we start having sex. I'm not even, my body doesn't even feel connected to my brain. I'm not even thinking about it. And there is something that Alicia was saying is like when you think about sex, you're 
can actually have an orgasm that's without even touching themselves yeah, because your, your brain is so connected to your genitals. So like, imagine if you start really putting your mind in that, in that, you know, environment, like what that can do for an orgasm. You're like edging all day long, right? So by the time sex comes, yeah, you're, you've created the context for yourself mentally. Context can also be internal. Right. I wonder too, if that is like more of a function, like that women really respond to versus definitely right. Yeah. Men don't (laughs) are just like, I got a hard on let's go. (laughs) You know, because they're reactive. That's what sex is. She said that, you know, they are women are start with the mental and then Mm -hmm. men just are, it's like a physical reaction that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, men tend to have more of that spontaneous Mm -hmm. arousal where they don't need it often don't need a reason or rhyme, but you know, I think those folks who aren't like that sometimes feel like something's wrong with them Mm -hmm. when they aren't the type of guy that just gets turned on and horny out of nowhere, but that's also normal. Like that's, it's also okay to be a guy who needs some context, who needs some romancing. That's especially, especially as we age, everything changes. Mm -hmm. You know, Tamina and I both have girls that are seven. She has another daughter that's two. Like, how do we explain, especially in the context of like now and how we're talking about sex, like how do we explain to our girls about, you know, about sex and like how they should feel about sex and, you know, how it relates to them? Like, because sex education still isn't quite there in school yet, you know? Well, there's, there's stuff that's going to just come up naturally, right? Because they've got bodies and they're going to, mm-hmm. I'm sure have already asked millions of questions. I, I think in some ways um, it starts with modeling the way mm-hmm. that you talk about your own body, the way you talk about your own relationship and that and developmentally appropriate words, right? They don't need to know all the details. Um, but even just knowing that you and a partner are going and having alone time or, or having romance, right? That that starts to become something that they're aware is important talking about body parts with their scientifically accurate terms uh, instead of labeling them with this like jargon that is avoidant and kind of shaming. Unless of course your kid says, I would like to call my body part X, then you follow that and you, you know, you mirror that in that way. Um, But I think at some point, especially once, you know, they're in about third or fourth grade, they're learning about it. They're learning about it somewhere. Mm-hmm. It, whether it's TV, a friend, and uh, someone's older sibling, they're learning about it. So the main thing is don't shy away from it. They're, no, they're hearing about it. You just want them to hear the accurate, pleasure-positive version. And, and so don't shy away from, from being straightforward in a lot of ways about it. And, and also, I think a lot of parents will start the conversation and make it about pregnancy or make it about just the risks, right? Mm-hmm. No pregnancy, no SDIs. That's how our sex ed is taught. So instead of coming at it from here's all the bad things that could happen to you, or here's just the biological function of sex, coming at it from that pleasure positive perspective, starting with the good pieces, the consent pieces, what it means to feel safe with somebody and ready for something like that. And then, and only once they have that foundation, talking about the risks, because when we lay the foundation with the risks, that's when, that's when we have that, you know, shame reaction. Mm-hmm. My fear is, yeah, I don't mind if she comes up and asks where babies are made and having the conversation. Mm-hmm. My fear is, I agree with you. I want to talk about the pleasure, mm-hmm. but just like I would say, chocolate tastes amazing. Mm-hmm. 
my seven, eight year old would be like, oh, well, I want to try chocolate. Is mm. there is there a version where you can accidentally push them mm. into sex too fast mm. because you're talking about, because I think sex is fucking amazing. Right. But if I was telling her how amazing it is and how pleasurable it is, wouldn't she want to try it mm. earlier than she wouldn't would have before I had said that? Yeah, I think that that fear is so reasonable and so common. And I think you can use a metaphor, whether it's chocolate or something else, even good things have a place in time, Mm -hmm. right? And it doesn't make it bad that sometimes you wait for it. And Mm -hmm. if you're talking about waiting for it, you're also talking about, well, what is it that you're waiting for? When When is the right time to enjoy this thing that's really enjoyable? Well, there are parts of your body that might feel really good to touch. And when you have alone time, that's a great time to explore that if you want to. Um, but when it comes to getting someone else involved, let's talk about what you, what types of things you would want to feel before knowing you were ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even doing some modeling of this is the age that I started thinking about it. And just, and also just because- 32. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't start thinking about sex uh, Phoenix until 32. I was married. Um, My parents said it was okay because I was 32. (laughs) Oh my God. I mean, I think alcohol is another example of this, right? It can be incredibly enjoyable. It's not appropriate for an eight-year-old. So it doesn't make alcohol bad. It can be used in bad ways. We could talk about that. Mm -hmm. So allowing this conversation to have the nuance that we would have when we talked about driving a car drinking for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. For some reason, it's hard to find that around sex, but it's, it's there. That nuance is there. Mm-hmm. So Tamman, how would you feel if Phoenix came home and was like at 16, let's say from high school and was like, I had sex like, it, like with, you know, I mean, I know that at 16, I did not, I waited till I was 18, but, um, what would you react? I, I waited till I was 18, probably because I was afraid of it. Yeah. Um, and also I was nervous within my own body and, you know, I wasn't comfortable, which is fine. Um, I would never see my husband and I are very different. Like mm-hmm. he came from a very different generation too, a 12 years different. Like he, he wouldn't shame her, but like, he'd be very, his biggest fear is them having sex. <laughs> I'm like, uh, my biggest fear is them getting shot in school. Like, I mean, obviously he's nervous about that too, right, but like right. his biggest fear is them, like a boy having sex with him. Like, oh my God, because I think for him, he's like, well, boys can be so right. aggressive and he like, you know, they're, they, they take over their Well, he's the a man too, and, you know? I, yeah, and, and I'm hoping that the next generation of men are raised very differently. They, they're raised you know, asking about wanting to pleasure a girl, wanting to uh, obviously getting consent, not forcing themselves. Um, so I think it's a different conversation, but I, I would, if she came home to me at 16, I would, I would want her to sit down and tell me everything mm-hmm. that she wants to talk about. Like, how did you feel? Are you okay? Did you enjoy yourself? Were you careful? All, all the things, not just the bad things, not just the good things, but all those questions, but I wouldn't sit there and judge her. I think I would be... I wouldn't judge her, but I would feel, I think my protective instinct would maybe come out and I would feel like, oh, like I'd have to catch myself almost and be like, oh, did you, you know, did you really? Because I would just want to make sure that like, you know, but I think but I would. You can't control, but you can't protect her. Like I know she, she, you hope that you've laid the foundation and that right. she has enough value in herself and also 
that she wouldn't even get in a car with a drunk driver. It's like all right. those control things that we end up having to lose as our kids get older. Like we hope we've set the foundation and we hope they, they, they know what's right and wrong, you know, and then you kind of have to have boundaries and then let them be, I guess. Well, so hard. all of the fear and protective reactions make so much sense. But if you take a step back and realize your 16 year old just had sex and came home and decided to tell you about it, that's the win right there. You have made yourself a safe enough place that your 16 year old, I've worked with 16 year olds as clients and they are not talking to their parents about it. So Mm. you've gotten that far. You've done the work of being a safe place for whatever it is. If something does go wrong around sex, it's more likely that they will come tell you. And there's plenty of ways that you can respond to it, whether it's therapy, seeking medical services, whatever mm-hmm. it is, and you're a safe place for them. That's, that's everything. Cause when you're not a safe place, they, they, and that's why I have these conversations on my Instagram around spanking and um, you know, hitting your kids because when you, when they don't feel like you're safe and all they get is punishment, they'll lie. Mm-hmm. They'll lie and they'll hide and they'll do things behind your back. And then you, you're never going to know. Cause your fear, right? So like, if you're, you're going to get in trouble, you're going to get punished. Things are going to get taken away, which I do believe in consequences, but I also believe in solutions and yeah. boundaries, boundaries and solutions is what we use in our household, not punishment. I love that. That's amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to take that. <laughs> like, I don't have any kids, but I'm writing that down. <laughs> Look, yesterday was really hard. My daughter was pushing the buttons and I said, I'm going to tell you something, Phoenix, you're really hurting my feelings, not giving you a guilt trip, but I'm a human being. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing is hurting my feelings. And I said, I need some space from you. That's my boundary. And I'm going to go into the bedroom. So I stood into the bedroom and then she came to the door. And she's like, I'd like to have a conversation, mom. And I was Aww. like, okay. And then we sat down she's like, I just feel like, and then she told me all our feelings. <laughs> so I was like, well, at least I think it's a win. That's a win. That's a win. I just think I know I need to just like, let go of the protectiveness a little bit and like, just let her just know that she is going to grow and hopefully grow healthily and, you know, try to lay as much of the foundation as possible. And hopefully maybe she would even come to me before she did it, you know? And like, yeah. I mean, that would be the hope, you know, and just, you know, I would try to like send her off with the tool, you know, uh, obviously, you know, your tool book, <laughs> this is what I know. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is what mommy does. Yeah. Get it, girl. No. <laughs> no, no, but hopefully, you know, I could, you know, make her feel safe and, you know, I, and sex isn't like, this is the thing too. We watch in America, dead bodies on the news, like mm-hmm. literally like, a bomb will go off and we'll see like severed legs and we'll see like so much violence. And yet sex is just this, like, we're so afraid of that. And I'm like, what? I just, I feel like it just the the nakedness and the breast and a boob and sex is like, I just, let's start getting rid of the violence first. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting how our country is like that. It's like almost flipped of other places, you know, it's like our priorities are just, yeah, way off. Yeah. yeah. So I guess it does start with this next generation and kind of trying to set them on the right path, you know? And they are amazing. I I'm intimidated by them, but also mm-hmm. so impressed by them and the way that they're I mean, I, I obviously work with queer folks and in in our generations coming out is this huge mm-hmm. thing, right? We talk about it all the time. I have asked Gen Z folks oh, who are queer, like, when did you come out? And they're like, What do you mean come out? Like I've just been this way my whole life. My parents have always known. We've always talked about it. I'm like, 
this is so encouraging. This, that is, that's what keeps me doing the work and, and makes me feel so hopeful is the idea that um, there just doesn't have to be this taboo and the shame and it can just be integrated, integrated at each developmental stage. I can't even imagine my kid coming out to me and saying, oh, yeah. like, I don't love you or, you, oh my gosh. I, I mean, I can't even imagine like you love your children so much yeah. that if they wanted to be a capsicum, I'd be like, or a, a, a cucumber, I'd be like, sure. <laughs> I love you. Like whatever. Yeah, I love cucumbers now. Yeah. Yeah. I love cucumbers. <laughs> I love cucumbers are the best. Yeah, well, thank well, you so much for being here. Right, Rox? Yes. Yes. We are oh. so excited you could stop by, Casey. I'm so happy I did stop by. I feel like I learned something today. I'm sorry. We talk a lot. <laughs> no, God, no, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, God. Kids are fun. Yeah. Kids are fun. Yeah, they are. They're a lot. They're a lot. A lot on the plate, but a lot of fun. They are a lot of fun. Every time I think I'm going to have a new, like another baby, it's just like the day from hell. So I'm like, <laughs> no more kids. And then it's like, it's great again. And then it's horrible again. And then it's great again. Isn't it funny so. how when that thought goes out, it's like, then the world sort of reacts to it. You're the like, okay, like, I guess this uh, answers the question. Oh yeah. I was like, I think I want another baby. And she was down the slide and shit down the entire slide. Like literally the whole slide was just her own poo all the way down the bottom. And I was like, I think I'm done. Oh I my God. No. <laughs> oh yeah it's it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> well thank you casey where can people find you and um and all the places that they can also listen to what's going on yeah absolutely so queer sex therapy at queer sex therapy on instagram is the best place to go also a link there to my website theexpansivegroup.com we have like 10 different clinicians all really pleasure positive they're also queer affirming therapists that can work anywhere with anyone so if you know, if anything resonated and you want to explore it more, that's a good place to go. Amazing. Amazing. Well, enjoy New York. Thank you yes. so much. <laughs> you. It's a good time. <laughs> well, guys, you can find us on Women on Top Official on Instagram and Women on Top Podcast on Facebook and Women on Top. We have a group on Clubhouse. Do we? Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> you need to come on over, girl. And if you don't rate, subscribe, and comment, then yes. are you really even listening to this? Yeah, show? you need to do you know what I mean. Like, us. I don't come understand on. it because we yeah. know that so many of you listen so please just can you rate subscribe <laughs> it helps us. we okay? know the numbers we Come see on. the numbers so please just comment and rate subscribe take two seconds out of your do it. do it do it do just it do it hey roxy soxy i'm gonna go um into the shit show that is my life <laughs> behind me same same <laughs> your day's I, almost done shut yes, up exactly. like, oh, i was right. gonna say i was gonna say i'm closer to wine and bedtime <laughs> i know so be quiet every time i see you i'm like ah her day's over <laughs> so unfair <laughs> don't you hey, worry guys. i'll be there tomorrow <laughs> yeah thank you so much i am taman sarsak and i am roxy manning and we are <gasps> women, women on Ta-da!
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.